Hello, welcome to Louder Than Words, the podcast on ideas that improve lives. I'm Jules Pretty. I'm delighted to welcome Caroline Bald and Akudo Amadigru from the School of Health and Social Care at the University of Essex. In this episode, we're talking about brain injury, its high incidence, the direct interventions that can work, and how brain injury is more than just an injury to the brain. It's a social context to it as well. So Caroline and Akudo, well, welcome to you both. So tell us a bit about this thing, brain injury, how common it is, and what kind of new approaches are you and colleagues taking to address it? Akudo. Thank you, Jules, for having us today. My name is Akudo. I'm a lecturer at the University of Essex. I'm also a researcher with Heads Together, which is a project um, designing resources for social workers, brain injury-related resources for social workers. Well, brain injury is a leading cause of death and disability for people aged 0 to 40 in the UK, and that's a huge demographic. So it's really important, and I'm glad for this opportunity to actually share and talk about this. So thank you for having us this Pleasure. today. Great. Yeah, Caroline. same here. Thank you very much for having us. So I'm Caroline Bold, and I'm uh, also a lecturer um, based in uh, health and social care as a social work lecturer. And my background is in criminal justice social work, so I'm registered social worker for 20 years. And my particular area of interest that brings to Head Together, who's so, uh, also part of that Heads Together project, is looking specifically at social work education curricula across the social worker and um, professional lifespan. And I'm particularly interested in the way that criminal justice and brain injury interplay um, and the disproportionate number of people, for example, in custody, um, particularly women uh, with brain injury and just the growing awareness of the impact of brain injury, both personal and, as you said, in families and communities. Well, this is very interesting. So we've got a thing called brain injury, which sounds as though it's a rather sort of narrow problem, clearly a big one because brains are important to us. Um, uh, and incidence is is or has it always been high or has it increased or is it that we've been better at recognizing it as a problem um uh, or is it that we've now been better organized in terms of education and projects to to recognize the problem and then intervene to help people or maybe it's all of those things well, the brain has always been with us as long as we've been here. And there's, you know, there's talk about brain injury as a bit of a cookie person um, back to the 1700s. So the impact on, on the history of brain injury and even the use of um, electric convulsive therapy, for example, in order to change behaviours has got a long history um, in terms of understanding the, the functioning of the brain. So the, the brain has always titillated researchers because it's one of those organs that you can't see while somebody's alive. Life, even once you could actually see things like the heart or the skin or the liver. Um, so a lot of the, the knowledge of the brain injury is more recent as technology has advanced. However, the, the experience of brain injury is not new. Um, the awareness of what constitutes brain injury, I think, is an increasingly developed point. It's, it's something that we're hearing more in sport, for example, uh, and conversations about um, whether children should be headering the ball when they're playing football. Um, but there's still whole areas of practice that aren't considered um, and all that families often discover about the brain injury is that the person no longer seems the same. Right. So paint a little bit of a picture of what what are the kinds of causes? I mean, is it, you've mentioned that little hint of, of past action to directly intervene to 
change people's brains but what what are the kind of context sport domestic violence mentioned- injuries um, what, how, do, how, do, how do the brain injuries arise? So the non-traumatic and the traumatic brain injuries. So different causes, um, accidents, road traffic accidents. There's actually, um, you can have a brain injury from the provision of oxygen at birth. There's actually someone who I worked with recently who we found that has a brain injury from oxygen deprivation at birth, but the presentation is autism. And that even COVID-19 has been identified as a leading cause of um, brain injury because of the neurological deficiencies that people actually suffer. Um, wars, blast injuries from maybe rockets. Um, mm. It's any trauma to the brain. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be something that it, it develops in, in vitro. Um, they're actually causing, as a result of the birthing, process but also just as childhood of children knock, knocking about um, but sports car crash um, motorbikes um, uh, had a few too many and fallen over in the street um, and domestic violence being a significant proportion for women. Right so some of these are things that have been around for a long time mm-hmm. you know context within which brain injuries can occur and some of them have been increasing over time you know. <laughs> People have become more aware, uh, and I think the the experience of brain injury is different with every person. So I, my understanding is that how I see things might be different to the other person. We might have a very comparable experience of a trauma, um, but my memory might be different, or I might smell things differently, or I repeat words, or or I only do that when I'm stressed. So it's one of those intangible, un- hidden disabilities that can be very demoralising and very excluding. And it's very challenging for families as well because the person who they knew may have had a great sense of humour or be absolutely cantankerous, and the next time they see them, it becomes different. Or worse still, when somebody like us are talking to them and they're absolutely you know, telling us everything that we need to hear, but the family know that that's just not true. So there's something about uh, masking, which happens, you know, right across any injury. Often we, we find ways to, c- to come across. Um, but there's also potential for silencing because why would I put it out there that I'm vulnerable? Um, but at the same time, when I do put it out there, I might not put it out there in a way that's listenable. So my area of interest is when somebody tells you to to pack up and leave in a, in a floral way. Often as professionals, we, we respond to anger um, as being excluding and people are silenced in that that anger is not going to go away. It's going to be something that they need to learn to live with. Right. So let's let's hear a bit about kind of heads together then. So that's the kind of context. Difficult for individuals and families, recognition. What 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 kind of examples of, of what we can do? We'll come to how you've been working with social work to help them understand better how to intervene properly. But what let, let let's paint a picture of the heads together activity project and what sorts of things have been happening there. Okay, Heads Together is a collaborative effort by um, a group of academics who are interested in brain injury research who have identified that people receive support, but, but it's not brain injury specific. So a group of academics have come together to address this gap. I identified this gap, for instance, when I was a student. Um, I actually talked about it today. 
as a student, I worked with someone who had a brain injury, but his case was closed because the person who was, who was who was assigned his case could not work with it. She found it very complex, and she closed his case. But this was a young person, very intelligent, high functioning, but had come to the UK from another country, from India, and his family wanted the best kind of medical support for him. But the school didn't know he had a brain injury. So I opened his file and I saw that he had craniopharyngioma, which is a type of brain tumor. But there were other issues, social isolation, um, access to Medicare. He was blind in one eye. He had had three brain surgeries and so an optic nerve was damaged. He had what finding and what processing difficulty. But when you look at the case, you see the medical issues, but there were other issues that were, you know, affecting him. And so when people, and sometimes brain injury is not a presenting problem. So people have behavioral issues, emotional issues, um, you might think it's mental health. So we start to look at the symptoms, but not the root cause. So we work with people and address symptoms, autism, for instance, like the example I gave of the lady who has been diagnosed with autism, but just a chance conversation, I realized actually this is um, brain injury from oxygen, oxygen deprivation. And so people go into work, into school, and have difficulty. And then when they access social care, they don't get the right kind of support. And so what happens is that they are given support, but it's not the right kind of support. But that then complicates issues. So the example you gave of the person who goes into work is what has what finding difficulty. We're not providing the right kind of support. But the family thinks, okay, this is not the same person because brain injury, of course, is not a respective person. I think um, the statistics shows that it's one in ninety, one every ninety seconds of uh, people going to, you know, the hospital with a brain injury. With a brain injury, yes, or a head injury. And so f- people, you know, personality changes and all of that. But the person might not even know. So, as so a I'm social cu- worker, I'm kind yeah. of curious about this yeah. thing that in naming it, mm-hmm. uh, I, I suspect the answer is going to be it depends on the individual. But in naming the thing a brain injury, do, is there, are there some contexts when that is a sort of release because it's it it's a kind of definition of what the problem is when people didn't know what it was, or or in other contexts, do people feel a bit kind of weighed down by something? as serious as a as a thing called a brain injury perhaps it could work either way i think it could work either way but i think i think what and again every experience is personal and even that personal can change minute to minute particularly when you're in a point of crisis um and recovery you know when you're talking about brain injury it somehow has a clock started at the point of A&E actually it doesn't it, it, there's a whole journey that people find almost having to 20 years later recognise themselves again um, So, but one of the people we work with said it far more eloquently than I think I could it's Dr Mark Holloway he says every social worker needs to be a brain injury social worker so every you know, I'm very strongly believe that every social worker needs to have a basic understand, more than basic, more than public awareness, basic, if you like, understanding a diagnostic capability, uh, or yeah. even a, a recognition that a diagnosis is, is required, or a, 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 a requirement to care about the fact that the brain injury um, numbers are so significant that maybe we we need to to know more, um, and so. 
our raison d'etre really for this NHR funded grant is to work collaboratively to come up with very from very basic could this be a brain injury to actually understanding what the functions of brain injury so it, it could be that somebody just doesn't turn up appointments at time has struggled calendar what to wear what's appropriate to wear um, not eating not drink or drinking heavily drinking alcohol um, self-medicating for any others and and that person could become problematised because they're not doing what we think they should be doing. They're getting all the help they need and they're still not changing. Actually, there might be something else. And when you look at the sheer numbers of people, you know... Well, one every 90 seconds is... Ought to be shocking, I would have thought, to a lot of people. that, that that's how many, But that's how many people are actually presenting... In a hospital, hospital, as you were saying, Akudo, but it's likely the numbers are larger because not everybody's making it to an acute context. Well, I actually said today in a classroom of 40 students, I said at least statistically two people here will have have some form of mild to significant brain injury. And so it's, it's about bringing it... Unfortunately, we need to say it's here for people to recognise it. And that is not to say that all the other disabilities and experiences people have are secondary. I think it's just a recognition that brain injury for too long has not been considered um, across the public sector. So we've got individuals suffering from various forms of brain injury, as you were were saying. Um, Then in the social context, in the family and the community in the home and then interacting with public and private institutions so you mentioned earlier the criminal justice system we talked about hospitals social care you've got to recognize that it could be a thing before you name it as a thing and before you switch on diagnostics and pass it to the right people but what's happening in the criminal justice system what what are your experiences of that caroline again brain injury social work i mean i think that it has been left behind and has really has had quite a wake-up call um unfortunately driven by tragedies um and preventable death um but also preventable harm and 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 uh, torment and and trauma so there's again we're we're not in isolation we're connected into wider groups uh, both in the UK and internationally through GLEFA for example internationally but also there's a criminal justice uh, brain injury group working uh, collaboratively across the UK and beyond and so for example uh, we're now seeing through the uh, the work of the Disabilities Trust. Um, they're looking at how many people in the, the male estate, the male prison estate, uh, they're talking about nearly 50% potentially. And of those, the 70-odd percent would be uh, pre their first offence. So there may be not a direct link between offending and brain injury, but there is certainly a correlation. As you would see in the homeless population, people who are brain injured are, are more likely to become homeless because of all the other capabilities of in life have, have dissolved and then they Absolutely. haven't those. yeah okay and yes. they're also more likely to die on the street um the women's prisons again it's it's significant over 60 percent of women they believe this is disability trust again um looking specifically at, uh, at in scotland they were looking at the women's estate and working out that the majority of those who presented as potentially having brain injury because obviously we can't look into somebody's brain um they said that the majority of those again over 60 percent was as a result of dis- um of domestic violence as mentioned 
We've also got a whole group of people who, um, due to just ordinary life events, such as, unfortunately, dementia becoming a life event or, or just general harm, um, ending up being in custody when actually they should be in the community or being in care when there isn't that space for somebody to be in families. So it's worth remembering as well that social workers as nurses, as police officers, as prison officers, you're working with the individual, but you're also working with the family and the community. Um, I used to work um, in probation service, for example, and we used to often work with this lady who who would decide to do the oddest of things, um, fully intending what she was doing, like smashing a window and because she was angry. And it was the root cause was brain injury. And we were, well, you can't just teach her not to do it. And of course, she the became... The brain's not going to let that no, happen. No, and yeah. she became criminalised. So in, in old money, she had ASBOs. Um, it, it became about control and constraint. Um, and rather than really, we policed her health rather than really understanding Mm. what the brain injury was to her. So we've slipped into a kind of difficult position when there are antisocial behaviour orders being put on people who have had a specific injury. So take us into a a space of how we can intervene to make things better. Um, So the, the, the project is about bringing together different perspectives the heads together activity the training of, of people at the fr- the sharp end of social care in all sorts of different contexts are recognizing what's happening but how do we how, how what do we know about making things better for people i mean is it recognition and is it then the support services for them can things be improved when they've when people have had certain forms of brain injury what we're doing at heads together is we're partnering for instance with survivors of brain injury so they're able to share their own experiences so we work with someone called Annie Ricketts who is an incredible resource she shares her life experience as a learning tool so able to draw from her own experiences as she tells you this is how it works this is how it has an impact and then we have not just from academics from the University of Essex we're working with partners from London School of Economics, Queen's University, Belfast. So we have different work packages where we are doing a review of everything we can find on social work and brain injury, all the researchers out there. And then we're interviewing social workers to find out what they know about brain injury. I've had a few interviews and with newly qualified social workers and the feedback I've gotten already is, oh, I've worked with someone with a brain injury, but I haven't had any training. But then the positive is that it's almost like a call to action because what I hear is, oh, you know what, after this, I'm going to speak to my manager. I need to learn about brain injury because I work with people with brain injury. So, and then Caroline has, is also leading a work package on surveying social work educators to find out what knowledge is out there. What are we training people? That's how we're intervening. So we we have different work packages and what we're trying to do is to make sure that everybody has a say-so. You talked about silencing, but we want to make sure that we're bringing to the fore real-life experiences of people that have a brain injury. But what does research say? So when we marry those together, we're then able to produce quality education for social workers and also social work managers. And we're hoping that that would then make a difference in the lives of people. Very interesting. So so you're trying to create the context where people are able to tell their stories. 
in in first instance absolutely how it happened how they're coping what kind of support they have and then for services to to be kind of aligned to those variety of requirements that we have i mean how how do we do that you said earlier that that obviously each context is unique but there are there'll be certain kind of patterns presumably in terms of the sorts of intervention that people can that we can be making is that tell us a little bit about the approach to help social those involved in social care social work yeah i mean i i mean first and foremost you know we're working with the converted because social work professions as with all health and social care professions are learning professions um but they're also time poor and resource poor um but we also work within a political context and a social policy context so often um researchers can maybe start with the assumption that there isn't stuff out there people aren't doing good work and so we we've certainly started with the premise that we we want to know what's happening so we're gathering great news stories um as well as areas of practice and as would you be as would be expected everyone is largely coming back saying yes we knew about this but we didn't know about that so the survey that i've been um sharing with social work academics across across the uk is asking them have you thought about financial management have you thought about uh anything particularly due to gendered issues um thinking specifically about young girls and menstruation have have you so taking them to complete left field they may not have been thinking about it but then also asking do you talk about the the brain as an organ do you talk about what then what a brain injury might look like do you talk about challenges with speech or do you talk about uh, brain injury and risk management and what we've been getting um through and through is that they recognize that there is a desperate need for this to be even if it's touched upon to recognize as a social worker I'm a brain injury social worker the students need to recognize and and learn we're also very conscious that every curriculum is absolutely chock-a-block full and everybody needs a point of learning and that's where i come back to making suggestions of brain injury as just part of another part of someone's humanity so include it in case examples for example i certainly teach on my course around end of life care and then throw in the curveball of somebody with a brain injury who presents a risk of sexual harm for example because of of inhibitions of having problems with sexual inhibitions it makes students think about ethics it makes students alarmed um but it also makes students recognize or, or just assume that brain injury is also something they need to think about so there's quick wins um there's some easy ones in the sense of sharing what's already happening um but there's i would say we're we're, we're knocking at an open door social work england for example the regulator for social workers in england are particularly interested in the work we're doing what we're not looking for is maybe a standardized curriculum because we want it to be able to recognize the diversity of of humanity but at the same time we're very conscious that by leaving brain injury off the the table it, it gets lost mm. So there is this it strikes me I mean in the context of almost permanent shortage of resources as yeah. you said curricula are by definition full at any given time so to create more space for something new is 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 a challenge um uh public services are stretched and and have been some have become frontline like the police for social health mental yeah. health whole range of activities that they weren't designed for 
But does this kind of provide the opportunity for a kind of unlocking where you've got an issue, brain injury as a thing that cuts across so many different groups of people, young and old, women and men, lots of different kind of contexts. Um, there's an opportunity to kind of come into existing problem situations in a new way because you can just say, well, look, think about it in this way and that might unlock what looked like a previously stuck problem like the silencing that you mentioned I think there's a whole uh, absolutely I think there's a whole spectrum of things that we can get involved in educating young people about the harms caused in hitting heads so there was recently a TikTok free you know this idea of dunting somebody on the head recognising what the impact of that hitting somebody on the head can be so there's avoid there's there's prevention and avoiding any other crisis and then the far extreme is actually avoiding people taking their own lives um, or becoming so upset they take someone else's life um, and to the point where we're actually doing major reviews of what went wrong and then there's a whole spectrum in between so we're again we're not going to undo centuries worth of, un, of unknowing but it, and we don't want brain injury to become the blip oh we ticked that box and we, we moved on so I'm, I'm really clear that we don't want to come up with a toolkit that gets dust we really want something that becomes a living breathing document and so we've created a middle page for want of a better platform we're happy with that where people will be able to share the resources we've already had a launch event um in, and perhaps Kudo could mention about what we did. We had this launch event in April, and from that there was recordings. You know, so even points like this. You know, we've got a podcast talking about brain injury. You know, I, you know, I, I'd struggle to find three more podcasts talking about brain injury. So, I think it would be really if we can grow the conversation, work with it collectively and say we're not reinventing any wheel here. What we're doing is remembering brain injury as social work, you know, is brain injury social work. Yeah, yes. And I'm glad you really asked that question because it's also about how we carry out assessment processes because the way the social work assessment is, is I come into your house and I ask questions. Are you able to do this? Are you able to do that? And there's something that the late Manny George refers to as the paradox of the frontal lobe. So the frontal lobe is a part of the brain that's involved with executive functioning and decision making. And so when you carry out even mental capacity assessments and you ask questions about functionality and the person says, yes, I can do this, I can do that. And you agree that the person can actually function. But the paradox of the frontal lobe means that the person cannot function, but the assessment process provides a, a sort of scaffolding because you're asking the questions. So, and that's the way social work, you know, is carried out. We go in and ask questions. But if you have this understanding, then you're able to then triangulate and ask maybe the partner who then says, no, actually, he's not able to do this. But the person who you're assessing would say, oh, I can actually function. Of course I, I can. So. You know, yes. why, why would you question it? Yes, yes I yeah. can. But maybe due to where he is at his recovery stage, he doesn't know there's a personality change, there's lack of insight. And so you miss, and that's a missed trick there because you've gone in and just carried out your normal assessment. But if you then have an awareness of, oh, there, there might be a paradox here where the person, again, another paradox, the person is physically present but absent. And so the family, the, dynam the dynamic, dynamics of the relationship changes. Then that awareness 
makes a difference in the way you carry out mental capacity assessments, for instance. And that's why people get lost in the system. And the example you gave of the person who committed suicide recently um, shows that if we don't do the right thing, if we don't have the right information, they were not able to carry out the right kind of assessments. So I think that's a really you know, good question you've asked. It's important that we bring this to the fore mm. and that we have that at the back of our minds when we're carrying out assessments. Mm. And it's mm. worth just adding to that. Often the social workers, you know, unfortunately we go back to legislation and what we're required to do in terms of back to that conversation about resources. And what we're asking for people to do is, is move slightly beyond, or not just the social workers themselves, but commissioners, to move slightly beyond Mental Capacity Act assessments um, and and. The number of times that I've heard, and, and also, you know, very recently, you know, I almost wanted them to have no capacity. Why would you wish somebody to have no capacity? Because if they had no capacity, then this could happen. Actually, the fact that somebody had capacity enough should be something that we should still be able to work with. Um, but unfortunately, because of the way systems uh, are set up or teams are set up, you're either in one team or another team. And what we're recognising is that brain injury is right across the lifespan. So for a team that's maybe working around older adults and developing knowledge of older adults, you've got a 28-year-old who, who should be you know, enjoying the 20s like no one's business and suddenly feels that they can't. Um, but doesn't quite fit in a team either. Yeah. So when you're when when you're looking at kind of common activities in society, I mean, knowing what you know um, about about brain injury, its incidence, the difficulty of recognition, the need to train people, the lack of resources to help help in in kind of rehabilitation and so forth, and then you look at concussive events in sports or just heading a football for for young children um, or sports that have become bigger because both men and women are much larger than they used to be when they play rugby for example so the concussion events are much greater do you kind of wince and think oh crikey you know do we, do, do, there are certain things that look like they are kind of enjoyable good things to be doing in people's lives but problems are just around the corner for many there are kind of big sports like in across the pond American football, you know, where people are huge and bashing into each other and concussion events are it's super the, common. It's very common. And I think even just uh, motorbikes and the p- right of passage to be able to drive and, you know, uh, you know, in, in your ninth, in your t- late 20s, uh, sorry, late teens and early 20s, where risk taking comes with the DNA. I think they're, we're not asking people to change their, be- you know, their lives around, but it's recognising that there are lifelong repercussions of w- seemingly small things what really strikes me is is very concerning is it's natural to want relationships and be in relationships and the surgeons of uh, domestic violence amongst younger people again you know I'm not suggesting for a minute we solve that problem for older people but to hear that youth offending team colleagues for example are saying they're seeing more and more young girls talking about expecting violence as part of their relationship again and and we know that often in domestic violence it is a, a target is at the head um so it's again it's it's not to say that there's any this is natural and this is normal and this is common but i i do think that there's just a lack of respect for the brain it's 
blooming strong. We've got our, our heads are, you know, really robust. They can do all sorts of things, but they can only be pushed so far. And you'd be surprised how fragile it can be um, when it comes in collision with something that's not moving. Yeah. So it strikes me, we used to find it really difficult to to mention, I mean, back in the 70s or 80s, people couldn't even say the word cancer very often. They said yeah. the C word. You know, yeah. They couldn't actually, and yeah. there's still a, still a kind of a, a problem for, for many older people to even say yeah. the word. And then dementia is another example, you know, something that we can't mention and then we come to be able to mention. It strikes me that, that brain injuries as a class is is still a bit in the shadows. It's still kind of hidden by a mist on the hills. Yeah, I mean, we in, used to, in wider society. No, I agree. We used to argue not to wear seatbelts in the car, you know, and the idea of having to wear a helmet when you're riding a bicycle. It's like that. People find a way. People, we, we like being able to have that freedom. We like that choice to or the decision to be free, irrespective of all you've said is I'm free. Mm. But actually, you, yeah, it's dangerous. Um, so a wider discussion about this, yeah. Um, yeah. as you've been saying, is kind of important, a kind of nuanced and sensible discussion. But something about, like, can we just kind of turn it around to, as it were, interventions that will work to make things better for people? Are we, are we largely talking about mitigation of problems or are there contexts whereby... Um, uh, things can be really improved because we've recognised that there is a thing called brain injury going on here. Or is it more about kind of living with it in a better way? I think a quick win is, for a social worker, because I'm thinking like a social worker now, a quick win is if you have a case and maybe it's behavioural problems, maybe dig a a little deeper and find out, okay, what is going on here? So, for instance, if you're working with a teenager who presents with alcoholism, drug abuse, all of that, what is going on? A homeless person who is consistently homeless, mental health problems. That's a quick win. That's a quick intervention. Uh, A serious uh, case review that we looked at recently talked about a person who committed suicide, and that's because the assessment process did not put into consideration his ABI. So explain that. His, the assessment process did not consider that he had a brain injury. Right. And unfortunately, he lost his life. So a quick win is, when as a social worker, you get a case. I spoke to someone who recently actually said that. She got a case of a man, well, she was looking after the child, but realized that the father has a brain injury. But no one focused on that brain injury. What they were looking at was his parenting skills or lack of parenting skills. And so what happens is that if you don't focus on brain injury, you're dealing with other issues. And then, but then you see that people reoffend over and over again. So I think a quick win is, like, like, like I said, it's not always a presenting problem, but try to find out what is going on. And then when you address that, hopefully other things will begin to fall into place. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and you're, you're problem solving mm. with that person. So mm. by and large, you're, you're, you're pushing at an open door. We're just people want solutions. People so, want so, yeah. help. Help me, mm. um, and I think so. There's some basic things that we can do, and we're gathering that evidence as we go. So, things that you know I used to do as a social worker uh, working in criminal justice was reminders, finding a system that worked for that person. Um, I worked with a, a young man who uh, had a brain injury, and one of the things we did was put a red dot on the, the door, so that when he saw the red dot, it reminded him to to get his keys. So we 
used simple techniques that just was a trigger to him to remember the keys um, because he would, he'd have a ritual to get out the door but then he would always he say, well I've, I've got the key um, there was other things like just things that we all use like calendars, learning to, to read and write again better, working with physiotherapists to encourage people to, to, to keep going that there is recovery um, but the recovery is unique to you and is not on a time scale and and takes will take some long time i mean it, it takes a while to change habits and you might doesn't not it? be back to yeah. where you were before yeah. like we all change but i think when you've had something done to you as it might feel they must you know i can imagine there being real pressure to want to go back to the way it was before yeah so let, let 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 me give you both a little magic wand to wave um, to try to make the, the make things better. Um, uh, how, what would be your kind of couple of priorities that you would be looking at in terms of policy and practice? I mean, you've described uh, the opportunities for intervention for setting people on a new kind of path, new opportunities. Because once you recognise you have a problem, you might then also be more ready to to follow a particular path of rehabilitation or improvement or have the support around you in a family or community or institution. Um, what would be the kind of top of your list of a couple of things as we as we kind of wave a wand over this a little bit? Okay, because I did a dissertation on the role of thought sector supporting people with brain injury, I would say funding for specialist organizations that support people with brain injury. There's a real lack of funding, and I did it during the um, pandemic. So there's a real lack of funding, and so people are not able to access support. So that's a magic one. So is that in third sector as well as public sector? Yes. Yeah, both, yeah. And then the, that's one, my, one of the things I'd like to do, I'd like to see happen. Awareness. And so the way we're having these conversations, let's have a national conversation about brain injury. Let it come to the fore. Then the way social services is set up. So we have special supports that um, teams that support mental health, autism. But you would hardly go into local authority and find a specific team that looks at brain injury. So that's those are um, things I would Very do. Then good. even yeah. um, academia, let's make it a part of our curriculum. So that's what I like Perfect. to do. Caroline. Add to that. Well, now that I've come second with my magic wand, can I borrow those ones as well? Because that would be my first wish as a yeah, magic wand to have all of those. Exactly. But I, I, to add to that, I would, I think, you know, we're unfortunately we're not necessarily always going to see change until people with brain injury are in positions of power um, and representation. So I, I would be, you know, chuffed to bits if we actually had um, students join us with brain injury or family members with experience of brain injury caring um, much the same as we're seeing a change in attitudes toward, towards care leavers um, as care leavers take positions of power uh, I would like to see that happening with brain injury that it's it's just another form of my identity it's not the only part of my identity but it, I've got a say so it's, it's lived experience and motion really um, and secondly I would echo that it, it's something that's just seen as part and parcel of the practice that we do um, and my third wish even though I use my first wish to get the others I really wish that we um, could somehow be resourced more in terms of time and we slowed down our practice because the clues are there 
that even when somebody's um, swearing or distressed or angry, that's communication. And we know that now with children, we, we really do need to apply that more to adults. So being so giving people the capability to be much more attentive about the context and looking for these signals that you've described would be a, a good way to start to move this forward. Yeah, and protecting that time because I've, I've yet to meet a social worker that went to work to do a bad job. So it's it's about the, the time and the space, and that doesn't mean oodles of time. It's just uh, everything about social work is the small stuff. Um, and, and unfortunately, we, we often can end up doing so much at once, we miss the clues. Um, so we're really hoping that through this Heads Together project, we can just remind people the clues are there, um, and, and these are the questions you might want to ask, and this is what you might want to do about it. Lovely. Thanks very much. Well, thank you very much indeed. Caroline Bald, Akudo Emadigwu, thank you very much from the School of Health and Social Care. Very interesting con- uh, conversation. Much appreciated. Oh, thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you for having us. That was Louder Than Words. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Have a look at the website for more information and do rate the pod if you can. <laughs>